Hey, good morning, Victory Life Church. Great to see you today. Welcome. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's my great privilege to share with you a few things this morning. If this is one of your first times joining us, either in person or online, may I encourage you to check us out at vlchurch.com. There is a banner there, there that says, Are You New Here? If you could click on that banner and complete the form that pops up, uh, that would be terrific, and we would consider it an honor to connect with you and to uh, share in your faith journey as you are trying to figure things out and find a place where you can grow in your faith. Uh, we would communicate with you sometime this week about how we can serve you and help you in that endeavor. Also, I have a few announcements this morning that I want to make mention of. Uh, the first is, you may have seen an email that came out about this. We have a life group leader interest meeting today after church in room 203. If you have been feeling a prompting or a leading to maybe lead a life group here at Victory Life Church, this is a very brief information meeting for you. Uh, you don't have to make any commitments today. It's just to learn more. So for those of you that are thinking about this, if you have people that come to you looking for answers from God's Word, if they're looking to you for wisdom, for discernment, uh, you might consider attending this meeting. Uh, we're going to be in room 203, which is at the opposite end of the building in one of the biggest rooms down there, right after service today, and we'll meet briefly for about 20 to 30 minutes. And so would love to have you there at our life group leader interest meeting. Also, I want to make mention of something really exciting that we're going to be doing in two weeks. We're going to have another volunteer fair on July 10th. And uh, this volunteer fair really is driven by, you know, a lot of principles in Scripture, uh, not the least of which includes a principle that comes from 1 Peter 4.10, where the Apostle Peter said, as each has received a gift, God has given you and I gifts and talents. He says this, he says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so we really believe that God has given you gifts and talents, and he wants you to use those gifts and talents to serve him, to serve his church to serve this world. And so what we try to do at least twice a year is to have a volunteer fair so that you can find ways to plug in and to serve God's kingdom here at Victory Life Church and in our community. And we will have various uh, servant uh, leaders, volunteer leaders, who will have tables and booths whereby you can stop by those tables and booths and learn more about ways in which you can serve here at Victory Life Church we have opportunities to serve in our children's ministry that is just amazing, in our youth ministry, on our welcome team, usher team, tech team, worship team, lots of teams. And so would love to have you attend our volunteer fair. It's going to happen before service and between both services and then after second service on Sunday, July 10th. And may I appeal to you once more by saying this. You know that we always give out prizes at these really fun events. We will have some cool prizes, uh, maybe a few tickets to uh, Cleveland Guardians games uh, and other things too. And so by attending, you can be entered into a raffle to um, win some of those really cool prizes at our volunteer fair that will happen in two weeks on Sunday, July 10th. Also on Sunday, July 10th, Pastor Matt mentioned this last week, we are moving our second service from 11.15 a.m. to 11 a.m. So just to make sure that that registered, can you repeat that after me on three? One, two, three, 11.15 to 11 a.m. That was really weak. I love you guys, 
but we've got to wake up. All right, ready? One, two, three, 11.15 to 11 a.m. All right, I want you to take your right hand and tap your shoulder and say, nice job, nice job. You each did a very good job. So we're changing our second service from 11.15 to 11 a.m., effective two weeks from today. And we've been wanting to make this change for quite a while, and we think summertime is the best time to do it because we want to be ready for NFL football in September. The Browns are going to be starting very soon, and so that's the most important reason we're doing this. I'm joking. To be quite honest, this really... By moving things up in our schedule allows us to accomplish more ministry in less time. It also allows us to honor our amazing volunteers, some of whom are on this stage with me this morning. And can we just take a moment to give them an ovation? They do amazing work for us every Sunday morning. Thank you guys so much. I didn't plan this. This just kind of came from the hip. We just love you and appreciate you and want to honor you. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this. And we're going to be starting this in two weeks, going from 11.15 to 11 a.m. during our second service to uh, honor our volunteers. Well, that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. And so uh, we do want to transition to the opportunity that you have to serve and worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings. You likely know what to do and how to do it. You can give online. You can text to give, and you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord uh, with your tithes and offerings today. Can I ask you to stand in preparation for worship this morning? And as we do so, let's bow for a word of prayer today. Father God, you are so good to us. We love you because you first loved us. You took initiative. You took the first step towards us. When we weren't even interested in you, you paved the way and extended your grace. I love what Paul said. He says, for it's by grace that you were saved. And this isn't from you. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. So, Father God, we come to express our worship to you this morning to say thank you. We want to worship you and glorify you for if it were not for the grace of God, none of us would be here. So we come from that position and place to honor you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. us. 
morning we're talking about God's grace. We're talking about his goodness and him sending his son to this earth to die for you and me. Most of what worship is, is retelling or remembering what God has done. And that's exactly what we're doing this morning when we speak the scripture. For you so loved the world that you gave your only son. So this morning we're going to continue to worship and thank him for what he's done in our life. And thank him for sending his son to die on the cross for you and me.
Father God, it says in your word that you demonstrated your love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unlovable, uninterested in you, mired in guilt and shame, you demonstrated your love for us. And even today, Lord Jesus, you desire to pour out your good gifts and grace into the lives of your people in spite of our sin. Lord, your love is marvelous and wonderful. We thank you for your abundant patience with us. And we pray today in worship and in praise and in the reading of your word, we would see that loving and awesome God who continues to pour out his good gifts into the lives of those who call upon his name. So we call upon you now, Lord Jesus, for those good gifts that are both marvelous and wonderful. We pray these things in your name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And just as quickly as you were seated, young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time. They hopped up quick. They're going quick. It's a good idea. It's dangerous in here. So, hey, if you got your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me into 1 Kings chapter 17. For those of you who love the Old Testament, you are now in three of the last four weeks in the Old Testament, so you're welcome. For those of you who don't like the Old Testament, I'm sorry, here we go again, all right? But we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17, and we are in week two of a series called Essential Trust, what God desires to bring about in each one of our lives. And we're talking about principles of provision from the Word of God that help us to develop an essential trust in Him, a day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, real trusting relationship with the Lord our God with the Lord our God. Years ago, I was in a musical at my high school, and I had a, a moment within that musical that I, I will remember for a long, long time. See, I had just completed a great big dance number. And I'm a big guy to be dancing. And I had just completed a great big dance number, and I had to go off into the wings of the stage and make a quick change from one set of suit to another set of suit, and then as the lights darkened, I had to run back onto the stage and go hide behind a set piece before the lights came back up. So in the course of about eight minutes, I did nothing but high-level cardiac activity. So I get behind this great big set piece, and I have to, I have to crunch down behind the set piece because a few minutes into the scene, I have to crawl to the top of it and then crawl down to, to keep the scene moving. Now, I would run before the lights came up, and I'd, I'd, I'd hurl myself before this set piece right before the lights would come up, but I wasn't back there alone. There was a crew member there, a crew member from the stage crew, and, and his job was to turn this massive set piece 
and to get it onto the stage and then turn it at just the right minute. And God bless him, he had to turn this massive set piece with me standing on it eventually. God bless him, strong young lad. And so we would, we would you know, build a little bit of a friendship down there because we'd be practicing that scene for weeks and weeks and the guys out front on the stage would be doing one thing, we'd be huddled back there waiting for my entrance. But every single time, I'd have to run, dance, run, dance, and then run back there, and I'd be sweating profusely, and I'd be breathing heavy, and I'd be catching my breath, and, and we'd begin our conversation. Well, on the very first night of the musical, I went through this whole uh, thing where I'm dancing and then running and changing and running, and I get down behind there, and he looks at me, and he smiles, and he gives me a bottle of water. I thought that was really nice. So I looked down at my mic pack, and it wasn't on, and I said, thank you. And he looked back at me and said, I'm just playing my part. And I thought, your part was to turn the set piece, but you did something really nice for me. Now, we had five nights of that musical, and he was not there one of the nights, and I was a bitter Betty. I really was, because there was no water for me that particular night. But four of those five nights, there he was, just playing his part. Well, we're going to see a story about God's provision in which everybody has to play their part. Everybody's part matters. And we're going to see that from 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, before we read, let me set the stage for you of what's going on in 1 Kings chapter 17. Around the year 800 B.C., the kingdom of the Jewish people was split in two. There was a northern kingdom named Israel and a southern kingdom named Judah. The northern kingdom was exceedingly rich. They had prospered. They did well for themselves. Not only does the Bible tell us that under kings Omri and his son Ahab that they were rich, but the archaeological record shows just how wealthy they are. They are still unearthing beautiful gold and silver pieces from this time period. Israel was a very wealthy nation. Ahab knew wealth and came into wealth. And he marries a woman from a foreign country, which was a no-no for the Jewish people. He marries a princess of Sidon named Jezebel. And Jezebel and Ahab then begin a campaign to switch the God of Israel from Yahweh, I am that I am, our God, Jehovah as it is rendered in the English, switch the religion of the people of Israel from Yahweh to Baal. Baal was a Canaanite god, and more specifically was the god of the Sidonians, and Baal was the storm god. Now, in the ancient Near East where the Israelites lived, there wasn't like the Nile flooding every year to bring them what they needed. They needed the storms and the rain to come for the barley harvest and the wheat harvest and the fruit harvest. And this is a moment in time where the Israelite people under the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel are saying definitively, Yahweh God is no longer our provider, Baal is. He will bring the rain, he will bring our wealth, and he will take care of us. And Yahweh God's going to speak into that. He's going to speak into that through an enigmatic prophet named Elijah. And that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab the king, 
as Yahweh, remember capital L-O-R-D is the proper name of God, as Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain in these years except by my word. Let's stop there. Challenge. That's what's going on here. Challenge from Yahweh God to Ahab, who is the endorser of Baal, right here. Baal is the one that brings the rain, so Yahweh, who has been spurned by his people, sends his prophet Elijah to Ahab and says, well, if Baal brings the rain, let's see if that's true. There shall be neither rain nor dew except by the word of Yahweh's prophet for years to come. Now that is a challenge. And as you might expect, we're going to chunk out this passage today. We're going to read a little bit, then we're going to comment upon it. But what's going on here is that God, Yahweh God, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David, the God who should be the God of Ahab and his people, is saying, I am your provider, Baal is not your provider, and I am going to reestablish that I am God and I am your provider. That's what's taking place here. God is reestablishing that he is the provider of the people of Israel. Baal is not. He is. Now, God had warned his people about this. He had warned his people that on the day when they came into their wealth, it would be easy to forget the one who had brought it about. Imagine that. I don't have it up on the screen for you today, but if you were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 12 and following, Moses warns the people that this day will come. He said, when you have eaten your fill, and you have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold has multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself forgetting Yahweh your God. Don't do it. See, Moses knew something about human nature. He knew that when we were nothing, we needed God to be everything. But when God gives us everything, it's easy for him to become nothing. It was easy for the Israelites to make this switch. Easy for them to say, the one who brought me all this is really me. I just need it to rain. I don't need him. I don't need to follow his precepts. I don't need to follow his law. I don't need to follow his command. It's easier to serve Baal. Baal brings the rain. Let's move on to Baal. God's not happy with this. These are his people. He's called them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, into the promised land. He had given them a hope and a future. So he's not going to leave things stand. And he sends his prophet to Ahab and says, I'm the one who brings the rain, not Baal. So God has a big plan here. This is a big plan. This is a plan that goes all the way through to that big showdown on Mount Carmel. Does that, how many of you know about that showdown on Mount Carmel? One day, Elijah's going to stand on Mount Carmel, and he's going to lay down the full challenge to the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them versus one of him to prove that Yahweh is real and Baal is not. But we're not there yet because Yahweh has to establish he's the one that brings the rain, and that's going to take years. Years to bring about God's plan. No one wants to hear years. The staff and I were away on our visioning meetings three, three weeks ago. Like, like, we want to do things in months, right? Right? We got a plan. We're going to bring it about in months. God's going to take years here to reestablish himself, and that's going to put his people, the ones who trust him, in a bit of a precarious position. Because anywhere God has a big plan, human trust is essential. 
Human trust is essential. And the trust needed to bring about his plan is going to have to take place in Elijah first. Let me show you what I mean, verse 2. So the word of Yahweh came to Elijah. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself in the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of Yahweh. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is, east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So we see that there's a problem for Elijah. He wants to be the mouthpiece of God, great. But just as Jesus said it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, Apparently from the Old Testament, it doesn't rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Everybody's going to feel this. Now, there's not a lot of righteous people in Israel, so we kind of know that. There's not a lot, of, a lot of people who are serving Yahweh at this time. It was easier to serve Baal. It was, it was trendier to serve Baal because Baal was the Canaanite god of all the regions around, most specific Sidon. So, so, so Elijah has two big problems. One, he's got to go hide. He's got to hide. Why does he need to hide? Well, because as the rain doesn't come, and the people begin to say, where's the rain? They're going to find a scapegoat, aren't they? It's going to be Elijah. It's not God. It's that guy. That guy said that there's not going to be any rain. So we might assume that Ahab and Jezebel might have been the people who would bring about Elijah's demise, but it might have been the people of Israel themselves that could have brought about Elijah's demise. In essence, he brings a word that nobody wants to hear. And so he's got to go hide. He's got to stay alive long enough for this years-long plan to come to fruition. But there's another problem. If you're not from this part of Israel, and you can't go home, and you can't go to any place where anybody takes care of you because they know that you were there, you have to hide. And how do you provide for yourself if you're in hiding? So God devises a plan to provide for Elijah extraordinarily. And I'm I'm parsing that out extraordinarily. That's his plan. Provide for Elisha in an extraordinary fashion. He obeys the Lord, but because he obeys the Lord, think about this for just a minute. He puts himself at risk of not having enough. How's he going to feed himself? How's he going to drink? God says, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to provide for you in extraordinary fashion. And he's going to have ravens bring him bread and meat. And he's going to have water that comes down a brook. Now granted, I would have been a little bit nonplussed at God's plan. Now I just want you to think about the practical implications of a bird bringing you meat every day. I watched on my mom's side porch as a little bird was feeding the birdies in her nest in the last couple of weeks. It's disgusting. Birds are gross, and they're bringing Elijah food. I would have been like, God, could we try that manna thing again, right? Are you really going to use a raven? God uses an unclean bird to bring him food, to bring him bread, to bring him meat, but he's going to take it because he knows he has the word from the Lord, and if he has a word from the Lord, he's going to expect God to provide, and God's going to provide on his terms. And then the brook dries up. Has this ever happened to you? You know, no good deed goes unpunished. Does this ever happen to you? 
You think you're following the voice of the Lord. You think God has spoken, and you take a step out in faith, and you're like, God's with me. He's got it. This is great. And the brook of life dries up. You know? I mean, I can't make like a huge cogent biblical point out of this i'd be i'd be reading too much into the text at this point i think but oh my goodness i think this is a real thing i think this is a real thing we step out and we begin to trust god to be our provider and take care of us and then we go this is the best you've got really i mean the ravens were one thing but now the brook is dried up but we're going to see elijah's essential trust in god is going to be rewarded God has a continued plan to take care of him until such day as the rain falls upon the land again. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah at the dried up brook and said, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gates of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he says, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she says, as Yahweh your God lives, I have nothing baked. And only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. So, let's take a look at what's going on here from verse 8. This is great. This is the challenge accepted moment. God sends his prophet to Sidon to be provided for. Sidon was not in Israel. Sidon was Baal's country. Elijah, get up from your dried up brook and go into the enemy's camp. I'll provide for you there. And that's the plan. And not only will I provide for you, I will provide for you from a well-to-do widow woman A Sidonian socialite with lots of room at the feast of her table. No, that's not what happens. Elijah gets there. He gets to the gate of the city. He finds the widow woman who God has directed him to and who the Bible tells us God had already spoken to. So they have this little understanding. When they see each other, they know there's the man of God. Oh, there's the widow woman. Here we go. But what does Elijah find? He finds her gathering sticks and says, can you bring me some water, which would have been a normal request for a sojourner in the ancient Near East. This wasn't out of place. This was normal. All right. Can you bring me some water? And she goes, yeah, I'll go do that. And then to confirm that he is the man that Yahweh has talked to her about already, he goes, and bring me a cake of bread too. And that's when she knows this is the guy. This is the guy that Yahweh God came and talked to me about. Was she in Yahweh God's territory? Did she claim that Yahweh God was her God? What does she say? As surely as Yahweh your God lives. And then she explains something to him. Something unexpected. That she doesn't have the means to provide for him. 
She doesn't have it. She knows Yahweh has spoken to her to take care of this man. She also knows that she doesn't have the means to do so. How is that going to work? Now, once again, if I'm Elijah, I'm going, are you kidding me, God? First, you send me to Ravenville. Second, the brook dries up. You have me travel out of country to be provided for by a widow woman and she's not even wealthy. I'm glad Elijah and me don't see eye to eye because I wouldn't have been the prophet of God. I would have been out at this point. But that's what's taking place. And what's taking place in the woman, it's paramount. The woman says to Elijah, I've only got a little bit left. I'm going to go home and make it for myself and my son. And then we're going to starve to death. So, and listen, she's admitting, I've heard from the Lord, but I can't. I can't give you what the Lord commanded me to give you. I can't do it. That's what she's saying. She's running up against two huge human realities every time the Lord calls someone to give sacrificially, and they are these. I don't really have anything to give. And even more heart-wrenching, how can I give to him what I should be giving to my son? Those are real considerations, aren't they? How can I give from lack, and how can I give what by every human standard belongs to my family? How can I do that? That's what's going on here in this moment. Ever been there? I have. I don't have it to give God, and I certainly don't want to give it because that means it has repercussions for my family. Years ago, I got here on a Sunday morning, just like this, except it was Christmas Sunday, the Sunday right before Christmas. And I got here in the morning, as I often do, and I had my cup of coffee, and I'm looking over my sermon notes, and I believe, and I'm trying to set the scene accurate here, I believe there was even flurries of snow out my window. Beautiful Christmas Sunday. And I remember hearing from the Lord as surely as can be in my spirit that I was to give a gift of money to a family that I knew would be there that day. Not a family who attends here, but I knew that family would be here that day. And I remember saying to God at eight in the morning, oh, that's nice, but no. I had this conversation with Yahweh my God in my office as he said, you're going to give a gift of money and it's going to be substantial to this family when they get here today. And I thought, no, I am not. And I remember the heart-wrenching, pulse-pounding moment of when the Lord speaks and you don't want to do it because I was upset. I was sitting there upset. No, no, I don't want to give that. And it's Christmas. God, don't you know it's Christmas? Don't you know that you've blessed me with too many arrows in my quiver, i got to buy them all gifts. I remember having this conversation with God. That, that's, that money's for my kids. It's Christmas, God. Don't you know? You can give gifts at Christmas, not me. I remember being so stirred up in my office all alone, and I resolved not to do it. I thought, no, I'm not doing that. It's ridiculous. God couldn't have been speaking to me that way. 
And so I came out here and I preached my Christmas sermon or sermons. I don't remember if it was one service or two at the time. And I preached and I went back to my office and I was gathering all of the stuff off of my desk and just about everybody had left the church campus and I looked out my window and strolling slowly past my window on the sidewalk was that family. I don't want to say what I said to God in that moment. But I wrote a hasty Christmas card and I put money that I really didn't have to spend, really didn't have. See my quotes? Look up. Really didn't have into that card and I walked out and I caught them before they hit their car. And then I walked back into the office and I thought, I'll never miss it. What was the big deal? I'm, I'll never miss it. What, my kids are going to get one less toy to neglect? <laughs> Sorry, Sienna. You're the only one here. One more, one more piece of plastic, right? It was a substantial gift. And I thought, what is wrong with me? You know? What is wrong with me? That when I hear so strongly, I rebel so strongly. Well, if Elijah had been there that day, I would have given it before service and not after. Because even though I had those two considerations that that woman had, I really don't have it. And how can I give you what I should be giving my son, or sons and daughters, Elijah, having already been provided for by the Lord, speaks into her life, verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, sorry, human. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that Yahweh sends rain upon the earth. And she went and she did as Elijah said. And she and her household, I'm sorry, she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. The jug of oil never became empty according to the word of Yahweh that he spoke by Elijah. Now, you would think that her act of faith was was to, to go and do this. Even after getting the word from the man of God, don't you worry, God's gonna provide for you. But do you see what he did? He said to her, You go do what the Lord told you to do, and then whatever's left you give to you and your son. Mm -mm. Nope. Can you imagine? You just, he didn't ask for all of it. He didn't say, go bring me everything in the jar and the sack of flour, and and God will take care of you. He asked for just a small cake, just, just, Just make a little bit for me first, according to the word of the Lord. Do what God's commanded, and then watch what God will do. This is the principle of provision. 
This is it. Played out time and time and time again in Scripture. Not just in this story, but in story after story after story. God provides when you put the word of the Lord first. That's that's the standard. Put the word of the Lord first and watch God provide. Because what was broken in the garden with our first parents is a distrust of the word of the Lord. The first thing the enemy asked our first parents was, did God really say? And then it was broken. God didn't say, nor do I trust him, therefore I shan't or shall. This is the human experience. This is the fallenness of humanity that we will say to ourselves over and over again, even though we've heard the Lord speak, God didn't say. No, he couldn't have. He wouldn't have me. He wouldn't say that. I can't. I won't. It doesn't make sense. Therefore, we think that the reverse of the curse, if you will, of our first parents is primarily about sin. But I would argue to you and have argued for years is primarily about trust. Broken trust led to sin. Remade trust leads to righteous behavior. He is establishing his plan right here for Elijah and this woman by saying, do what the Lord spoke first and watch me provide after. Isn't that what Elijah had to do? Do you think as Elijah walked into the court of Ahab, he thought his life might be in danger? Do you think that there were times by the brook Cherith that Elijah thought, I hope it's coming tonight because I'm going to need provision? Provision. And now he is bringing into the life of this woman the exact same plan that had been brought to bear in his life. Do the word of the Lord first and then expect God's provision to follow. And what is Elijah essentially saying to this woman by making this terrible ask? He's saying, woman, you don't provide for you and your son anymore. Yahweh God does. You don't provide for them anymore. God is about to. And this is the mechanism that has to change in our brain. This is the brokenness that has to be healed in us. Our sacrifice doesn't provide for God. It's his mechanism of providing for us. That is where we develop a central trust in him that spans out into every area of our lives. We engage in a small act of faith and then begin to see God move. The widow had a choice that day. She could have looked at Elijah and said, go find some other widow. I do not have the means, nor do I have the guts to give you any of what I'm going to give my son. But she does. She gives it unto the man of God, who is the exact same representative of that God, who will send his son to give his everything for us. The woman heeds the voice of the Lord. And now she'll know that Yahweh God doesn't just live, but Yahweh God provides. Now, I would love for you to read the rest of the story today, verse 17 and following. 
because the Lord brings to this woman salvation and healing as well. And we don't have time to jump into all of that. But he meets her spiritual needs after meeting her physical needs. But I want to make one more point to you today. This woman played her role in the overall plan of God. It's not what she was thinking that day. All that she could think was, I don't have it, and I can't, but you know what, I'm going to step out in faith, and I will. That's all she knows that day with her sacrificial gift. That's it. But through the hand of God, she becomes provision for God's prophet. And she takes her part and place in God's big plan. She couldn't have known that that day. She, she couldn't have established that, oh, look, the prophet's coming, and he's coming to, to Baal's hometown to be fed by me, who doesn't have enough to actually feed him, to show the power of Yahweh God, and then he's going to live long enough to confront Ahab and the prophets of Baal, and God's going to reestablish himself as the provider of Israel. She couldn't know that. All that she knew was that she needed to follow the voice of the Lord in the moment. And we get the benefit of seeing that she got to be part of God's big plan. And that's what happens for us. We have no idea what God's going to do with the gift. We have no idea what he's going to do with that obedience. But we can trust it's part of his plan. And as he develops a central trust in his people, he's working out a plan for his people. As he develops it in you, he's doing something bigger with it than we could ever imagine. That's what a central trust begets. That's what it's all about. That we get to be part of God's big plan and what he's doing in this world. The widow of Zarephath got the chance. Elijah got the chance. But both needed to trust the word of the Lord and then ask him to provide. And he did. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, what more could we ask than being part of your plan? What more could we ask? God, there are moments and times in each one of our lives when you speak so clearly to our hearts and to obey you in those moments goes against every principle of humanity. We can't see the reasons why or bring ourselves to understand in the physical. Oh, Lord, Help us to begin to see you with spiritual eyes. To understand what you're doing in and through us is but a portion of what you plan to do in and through your kingdom. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, Pastor Matt, I've missed some opportunities to obey. 
I've missed some opportunities to see God prove himself in my life. And I don't want to miss the next one. I want to trust him with my everything. Because I want to see him move. And I want to play my part in his plan. If that's you today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would just invite you right now to do something physical to match the spiritual. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I'm not looking around. It's between you and the Lord. But if you in prayer today want to get your heart right before the Lord so the next time he asks, you will answer. Lift a hand to him. Stand where you're at. Kneel before him. And I want to pray for you. I need him to do it in me. And the kingdom and his plan needs for it to happen in so many of us. Heavenly Father, I pray for your children today. Remind us, Lord, that you are our Father and we don't provide for ourselves. You provide for us. Help us to trust you trust when you have spoken and to trust you as Yahweh Yira Jehovah Jireh our provider help us to know you in this way to trust you in this way to see your great love for us in this way help us to be ready in the spiritual so that when you speak we will answer and play our part in your plan. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, would you stand today? It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Be ready to dodge some raindrops this afternoon. Hopefully we don't have to dodge any on the way out this morning. But boy, lots of good things happening in the coming weeks here at Victory Life. And for those of you who have some meetings to attend, God bless you today. For those of you who are getting pumped for the volunteer fair on July 10th, I'm getting pumped too. So we'll look forward to some of the good things God has for us. And uh, let's pray and ask him to dismiss us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us into your house today. We ask, Lord, that you would send us from this place attuned to your voice, trusting you and taking part in the plan, God, that you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.